0: book of Jeremiah chapter 9. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up to Jeremiah chapter 9. Now there's a lot of churches out there that don't teach through the Bible. You go to their church and pretty much the pastor says whatever he wants. Oh yeah, the Lord's telling me to teach this today and that today. Well, how do you know it's the Lord? You know, that's one of the things I love about Calvary Chapel that God instilled within our hearts is that you just teach through the Bible. You don't you don't you don't you don't you don't miss things. You don't hop over everything. We're in a tough book, to be honest. The book of Jeremiah is a tough book to to you know to teach. But doesn't the Bible say that all Scripture is inspired by God and given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so. You know, praise God that you guys would come on a midweek service, and praise God that you would come for the book of Jeremiah. That's really, really cool. I'm proud of you. I think God's going to give you some extra points for tonight. I really do, man. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 9. Any of you guys ever heard of that book, Haley's Bible Handbook? Some of you guys have, right? It's a cool little handbook, and it gives a little bit of information on every chapter of the Bible. You know, when um, the Jesus movement started, that was one of the things that Pastor Chuck would give to the people. If they became a Christian, he would give them that little Bible companion. It's called the Hades Bible Handbook. And I I want to begin by reading a quote from him on this chapter. He, He said this, Jeremiah, a man of sorrows in the midst of a people, abandoned to everything vile, wept. He wept day and night at the thought of the frightful, impending retribution. He moved among them, begging, pleading, persuading, threatening, entreating, imploring that they turn from their wickedness. But it was all done in vain. Have you guys ever heard this? Here's a man, think about it, you guys. He has a ministry for 40 years, and not one person got saved. That's crazy, huh? You know, but he was uh, the Lord's prophet, but he's also known as the weeping prophet. Let me ask you guys a question. When was the last time you wept over sin? You know, I think that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will weep over sin. You know, some people weep over the consequences of sin. But rarely do we see people weep over sin or what happened to that individual over there, man. And they were so you know, strong in the Lord at one time and now they're nowhere to be found. And we kind of look and shrug our shoulders and we continue with our, you know, our Christianity and we're not weeping for the brother when we should be. That's how you kind of know you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, man, because the Lord begins to, those tears begin to fall and we should weep. You know, because our nation, you guys, is in big trouble, and even the church. You know, I wonder, you guys, sometimes, man, and I got to be honest with you, as I'm going through this study, I'm like, Lord, are these people really saved? You know, not everyone who comes to church is really saved. Even in Bible college, they're not all saved. Because you can tell when a person's saved. You can tell because they love the Lord and they love people and they love his word and they love to pray. And you can tell because when you talk to them, you want to know what they talk about? They talk about the Lord. But sometimes you got people coming to church and for whatever reason, man, that's like they're not really interested in talking about God. Let me tell you something if you're saved, you're a miracle. You're a miracle, man, because you were dead in your sins, but now you understand the Bible. You were dead in your sins, and now you have this relationship with God. As I read through the book of Jeremiah, and I'm just looking more at life, and I'm seeing people, I just, Lord, it's a a miracle when someone gets saved. Only God can save a person. I mean, you might be the best talker. You might be eloquent, whatever. You got all the words and you put them all together. I don't care. that None of that can save anybody. The only one that can save is God. And if you're here tonight and you don't know whether or not you're saved, I pray that tonight you would settle that. That tonight you would put your faith in Jesus Christ because he died for you on a cross and he rose again. But you have to choose to follow him, you know, to make him the Lord and Savior of your life. And so this is what Jeremiah is dealing with. He's dealing with some people that, you know, they don't want to listen. And so look at verse 1, Jeremiah chapter 9. He says, if only my head were a pool or like a fountain of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night for all my people who have been slaughtered now i've been doing the new living translation in the midweek services in case you just got lost right there (laughs) and it's kind of cool because it's a simpler version and i'm noticing that the young people like it okay so we're doing it for them because we want to help them understand right And, and so right here jeremiah is just saying you know what i wish that i had like waterworks i wish i could just cry all the time because of what's going on the grief caused Jeremiah to wish his eyes would become this fountain of tears so he could weep continually, day and night, for the people who would die. Now we'll see it again later in Jeremiah 13, verse 17, or Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 17, how this guy would cry. Yeah. He would cry. You know, Pastor Raul, he, he when he was younger, he would never cry. You know, and because some people are like that, you know, I don't know if you had a dad, you know, who told you it's not, it's not, you know, don't cry. If you're a man, you shouldn't be crying, you know, because sometimes people have that mentality, and yet Jesus wept when he was looking over Jerusalem and he said, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I got, wanted to gather you together under my wings like a hand gathers her chicks, but you were not willing." And he was weeping over Jerusalem. You know, if you don't cry. Pray that the Holy Spirit will touch your heart and you'll begin to to shed those tears that are necessary because there are people dying. There are people heading for hell on our watch, on our watch. It's happening right in front of our eyes. And so Jeremiah says, you know what would be appropriate right now? If I just kept crying. I just kept crying. You know, Warren Wiersbe said most people want to stop their weeping But Jeremiah wanted to weep more because he was so burdened for the people. But, you know, it's interesting, even though he loved them, he cared for them, he cried for them with compassion, one thing's for sure, he didn't love their sin. He hated their sin. And we see in verse 2, he says, Oh, that I I could go away and forget my people and live in in a traveler's shack in the desert. For they are all adulterers, a pack of treacherous liars. My people bend their tongues like, like bows to shoot out lies. They refuse to stand up for the truth. They only go from bad to worse. They do not know me, says the Lord. You know, he wants to cry because he cares so much for them, but at the same time, he wants to split. You know, think about it, if you're a pastor or a prophet and you're sharing with the people and nobody's listening, nobody's listening. So he said, you know what, if it were up to me, I wish I could just go away and live by myself and get away from all this, but he couldn't because he was called by the Lord to be there with the people. He wanted to escape, but he couldn't run away, you know, and he was just nauseated by the way that the people were superficial by the way the people were liars it says they were adulterers and a pack of treacherous liars you know and and i was thinking about this today and you know i think probably what he's talking about when he says my people are liars, it could be legitimate church people who are, you know, maybe backslidden or struggling or just carnal Christians. It could be sometimes, like sometimes you see the athletes; they say they're Christians, but then you see them drinking and doing all that stuff. Next thing you know, they're busted. They got someone pregnant because you know the, it's one thing to say you're a Christian; it's completely other thing to to be one. And so maybe that's what he's referring to that, that that they're liars but there's more to it because they're doing damage with their tongues. And you know it's interesting when you look at this right here they they have this 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 heart. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 15:8 he said these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. You know it says right here my people, in verse three, they, they bend their tongues like bows to shoot out lies, they refuse to stand up for the truth, to stand up for the truth. you know i I don't know all the details, you know, but i I heard a little bit today on the news um, about the Pope uh, making a statement saying that you know homosexuality is not a crime okay so so I hear what he's saying. I hear what he's saying, you know, I mean, you know, you don't want to necessarily put him in jail for that thing, you know, because we're not a theocracy, right? We're, we're, we're not necessarily, you know, like that, but the guy has no no courage, no courage as the one who represents, he's supposed to, that's what they say, well, he's a representative of Christ to, to make a bolder stand and say, this is ruining our nation. The way that they're, you know, saying, you know, this is, is okay. It's legitimate. They're teaching it in schools. They're stuffing it down our throats. They're putting it in every single movie and every single, every anything you see on TV commercials. I mean, this is just pressured. They're 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 ruining our, our nation. But but he just softens it all. Oh, it's not a crime. We gotta love. Listen, go up there and tell them that it's a sin that separates people from God. And that leads them to the to the lake of fire, bro. He's not making a stand. And a lot of times Christians are like that too. Not making a stand. And that's what we see right here. My people, they bend their tongues like bows to shoot out lies. They refuse to stand up for, for the truth. I mean, come on. Even my watch tells me when to stand. I don't know if you guys have one of those watches, but it's crazy. If you're sitting down too long, it says, stand up, bro. <laughs> and then at the end of the day it's kind of cool because it tells you you know you reached your standing goal or for today or whatever and so all i know is that looking at this um right here jeremiah is indicting them they refuse to stand up for the truth in verse three they only go from bad to worse and he says they do not know me says the lord and so in the new king james it says they proceed from evil to evil evil to evil. And what that means is they're getting worse. They're getting worse. They're going from worse and worse and worse and worse. And that's exactly what we see is happening in the world today. And because it's happening in the world today, it's happening in the church today. Remember, I think I've shared, shared with you guys that a lot of times what happens is like, let's just say, this is the world. This is where the standard of the world is. And this is where the church is. Okay. We're not as, well, we'll just say this. we're not as, we're, we're not as bad as the world, right? And so what ends up happening is as the church goes down, I mean, as the world goes down, the church should just maintain, they should actually be going up. But what the church does is it just kind of maintains the distance from the world, and the church is no longer strong. We should be strong. We should be holy. We should be supernatural. We should be evangelizing. We should be praying more. You know, but what ends up, how we go home and, you know, all we got, we we'll to watch a movie. And again, I don't want to be legalistic or anything, but man, we had to be so careful. Don't you have an appetite for spiritual things? You know, that they were getting worse and worse and worse. And the church should do this. This is what I should do as a man. I should get better and stronger and deeper and, and love the Lord more. That should be the description of my life. Now I like what Warren Risby he said, he said this life never stands still, and Judah was going from evil to evil. Those who know Jesus Christ can go from faith to faith, it says in Romans 9 and 17, from strength to strength in Psalm eighty four seven, and from glory to glory, the Bible says in Second Corinthians three eighteen. Those are all descriptions of an individual going in the proper direction. You the world is getting worse. That's what we read right here. But we, you guys, should be growing. You know, I told you guys probably a million times, you know, the only way we, got to, you know, we, we can make sure that we don't go backwards is by growing forward. But no one ever stands still. So hopefully, man, you guys have that heart. Do you have that heart? Lord, I want to grow. Do you have that heart? How many of you have that heart? I'm just curious, man. I pray, I pray that you do. That it wouldn't be us going backwards. Why were they like this? Why were they only going from evil to evil? Why were they only going from bad to worse? Well, we have the answer right there. It says at the end of verse three, they do not know me, says the Lord. They do not know me. And we're gonna come back to this because Jeremiah mentions it again. And so he's sharing here in verse four and he says, beware of your neighbor. Don't even trust your brother. For a brother takes advantage of a brother and friend, Slanders friend. They all fool and defraud each other and no one tells the truth with practice tongues. In other words, they're good at lying. They tell lies. They wear themselves out with all their sinning. They pile lie upon lie and utterly refuse to acknowledge me, says the Lord. I mean, it was so bad in Jeremiah's day back then in the southern kingdom of Judah that you couldn't even trust those in your immediate family. And and your so-called friends in those days were frauds. You know, God, I don't know, hopefully none of you guys are like this man, but you might be in your house talking smack about your, your brother. You know, and you're talking about the pastor. You're talking about the people in the church. And you're talking about, you're saying things that are not in a positive light. You're saying things that defame someone's character. It's almost like character assassination. And you think you're okay because you think no one heard except for that person that you're talking to. And there in your presence is God. That's why, I'll be honest, I, I fear the Lord. I would never talk bad about someone in the church, about one of my friends, about my pastor or spiritual leader because I have that fear of God inside of me. And we have to have that. Right here, They, because they were like that, God was going to judge them. That's what we read right here. Things are so bad. Jeremiah had to tell the guys, hey, whatever you do, don't trust that guy over there. Because <laughs> you don't realize it, but he's talking about you behind your back. You know, I may not see it. You may not see it. But does God see it? Yeah. And that's why for me, I mean, I always pray, Lord, let the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord. Not even in my heart. I don't want to do anything bad. Now, I don't know if you've ever met someone who's good at telling lies. Some of you guys used to be that way before you were Christians, huh? Don't you thank God that you get convicted if you you know are tempted to tell a lie you don't? I mean, praise God that we don't do that. Lies are The language of Lucifer, the dialect of the devil, always be honest, you guys. Lies absolutely destroy communication. Now, it's interesting right here in the New Living Translation, it says in verse 5, they all fool and defraud each other. No one tells the truth. With practiced tongues, they tell lies and they wear themselves out with sinning. And so, in looking at this, it's interesting. It reminds me of Ephesians six sixteen, where it says that the enemy he uh, he throws those fiery darts, those flaming arrows. That's kind of what those lies are. And so we read here in verse six again, uh, the latter portion that they utterly refuse to acknowledge me. So here again, how many of you guys? I'm curious. How many of you have the New Living Translation? If you would raise your hand. Okay. Some of you do because you guys are hanging out with me. Okay. All right. That's cool. How many of you guys have the New King James translation? Okay. Well, so most of you do because that's where we came from. Okay. Cool. So in the New King James, again, it, it says, they do not, they refuse to know me, huh? And so earlier it read, the reason they're doing what they're doing because they don't know me. All right. Here in the New King James, it says the same thing. They refuse to know me. And that's the, that's the reason, you guys. That's why we see a lot of things going on in the church. And you're wondering, why is it that they look like a zombie? Why is it that they don't have that sparkle in their eye? Why is it that they don't seem interested in spiritual things? They would much rather do something else. Why is that? It's because they're not saved. And, and if that's you... To be honest, man, you got to have a fear in your heart. Because if you die in your sins, you won't go to heaven. I mean, this is the reason why they were doing what they were doing. The Lord says, because they don't know me. And this happened, and it's crazy how it can happen after uh, generations of God's goodness. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. They, they did not know the Lord and all that he'd done. First Samuel 2.12, it says, When the sons of Eli were corrupt, they did not know the Lord. And these were the guys that were sleeping with the women in, in church. Why? Because they didn't know the Lord. These are the guys that were stealing from the offering. Why? Because they did not know the Lord. Jeremiah chapter four, verse 22, it says, for my people are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. And that's an interesting verse right there because he calls them my people. And so there's an aspect where someone are not some are not saved but there's also an aspect where the church, maybe they're saved by this maybe you're here and you're one of those you're you're saved by the skin of your teeth, but you're 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 in the wrong place in your life because you don't really know the Lord the way that you should you know this is what it's all about. remember what Jesus prayed in john seventeen three and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent and so you know when he's talking about right there that salvation is knowing the lord that's what salvation is but jesus said in matthew 7 and 23 that many will say to me in that day lord lord have we not prophesied in your name cast out demons in your name done many wonders in your name and then i will declare to them i never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness so I always trip out on that verse. I don't know if you guys do. Man, this is a, a, a verse that just blows me away because you guys got you got guys that are prophesying in Jesus' name. You got guys that are supposedly casting out demons in Jesus' name. They're doing miracles or wonders supposedly in Jesus' name, but Jesus didn't know them. And how, how can we tell? And, and then the answer is because they didn't have the fruit. You know, the Galatians 5, and 23, when you look at that, or just, you know, the fruit of love, the fruit of righteousness. They didn't have it. Their life didn't match up. It's one thing to be involved in ministry. Anybody, God can use a donkey. God can use a jawbone of a donkey. That doesn't mean you're saved. You will know them by their fruits. You know, if you know the Lord, the thing is for us, because I know most of you here do, then you want to know him more, right? Philippians 3.10, after 30 years of ministry, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. I just want to know the Lord more. Second Peter 3.18, to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we should have in our hearts. But these guys, they didn't know the Lord. And so God had to deal with them, even though, as I mentioned last week, they weren't meant for punishment, but they did it to themselves. And so God was forced to discipline his children as a means of purification for the nation. Look at verse seven. It says, therefore, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. See, I will melt them down in a crucible and test them like metal. What else can I do with my people? For their tongues shoot like poisoned arrows. Those are those darts I was talking about earlier. They speak friendly words to their neighbors while scheming in their heart to kill them. Should I not punish them for this, says the Lord? Should I not avenge myself against such a nation? And so we're definitely, you know, being reminded in the book of Jeremiah of that thing called divine discipline, right? How many of you guys um, were parents that had to discipline your children every once in a while, right? If you didn't discipline them, that means you left them to themselves and that means that they would suffer the consequences of not having that type of loving discipline. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And so these were his people. These were his children. So God says, I'm going to have to deal with them. He won't neglect them. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He wants the best for us. And the cool thing is this, that he never gives up on us, you guys. You know, if you're here today and your heart is cold, if you're here today and your heart is distant, then guess what? Don't worry, God will get you. God will give you a trancaso. God will deal with you in some way, somehow, to get your attention. If you don't want to just listen to the straightforward voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, God will deal with you. You know, it's interesting. If we're bearing fruit, the Father prunes us, so we'll bear more fruit. But if we're not bearing fruit, according to John fifteen, he lifts us up. He says, "Hey, come on, come on, let's go. Come on, wake up. Lift." You know, he lifts. If that doesn't work though, then what ends up happening is he turns up the heat. And Jeremiah here he mentions the crucible. The crucible was a ceramic or metal container in which metals or other substances may be melted or subjected to very high temperatures. I think we have a picture of a crucible here, and so. If you can imagine, you know, putting the gold inside of that thing, and you actually have to heat it up to close to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit for that gold to begin to melt. And so this is what he's talking about in the crucible. And this is what he's talking about in the testing. And he would have to put his people there, and he would have to turn up the heat. And what ends up happening is when the gold is put in the crucible, the dross rises to the surface, the impurities... And what the individual was supposed to do was supposed to skim the impurities off the top, and so that's what that was the intention uh, for the the trials, for the testings, for the crucible. You know, they say that the the, the 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 individual who was you know purifying the gold, he knew when he was done because he could see his reflection in the gold, and that's what God does with us. You know, He's going to put us and the heat is going to come on. You know, if you're not going through it right now, you will one day. And I don't want to say that to scare you. I'm just saying it's going to happen because we live in a broken world and because we have a loving Father. But when that heat comes, when that crucible is there and you know you're in it, embrace it. Embrace it. And when you're in that crucible and when the heat is turned up, look. For the dross, look for the impurities that is your mind opportunity to get right with God. How are you treating your wife? How are you treating your kids? you shouldn't have taught to them like that you shouldn't have looked at that. The impurities begin to rise. God begins to convict by his holy spirit that's what God was going to do with the nation of Israel as he sends them into Babylon. They would be sent into slavery for their sin and it was there that God would heal them of their pluralism and purify them in the fire. And that's what it, what it usually takes, right? I mean, I could talk to all of you guys right here and for some of you, not all of you guys, but some of you, it was a major event. You know, I was reading about this one guy, his name is Casey Diaz. He wrote a book, it's called The Shot Caller. And it was his story in prison. And how he, when he was there, he was the shot caller. But what ended up happening is things digressed and he found himself in solitary confinement. I, for, I don't know how many days he was there, locked up all by himself and he thought he was going to die. But finally, you know, one day this guy comes, he's a chaplain and he shares the Lord with him and the guy ends up getting saved. And there in prison, he was pardoned and purified. You know, and, and whatever it takes, huh? Sometimes we even pray that for our kids, huh? Lord, whatever it takes. (laughs) I just don't want them to go to hell. I don't want them to end up in the lake of fire. So we're always praying as parents because we want, you know, God, please don't make it too bad, but whatever it takes. And that's the way it is with us too, right? You know, when we look at this right here, this is what was necessary for backslidden Israel. But it's also in one sense something that's necessary for us all. You know, I'll be the first to say, Lord, I don't need trials. Lord, I don't need you to turn it up, you know, the heat and stuff like that, because Lord, I'm just going to keep growing by myself, and you know, I'm cool, Lord. But but the way that human nature is, we're all going to go there. You know, I go through it, different things. I don't tell you guys everything just like you don't tell me everything. But we're in the fire. And sometimes it's hotter than other times. Job, he said in chapter 23, verse 10, but he, God, knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold." Now think about it, man. Job was a blameless man, upright, feared God, shunned evil. He was probably, I mean, I think in one sense, the way that God describes him is he was the most holiest man on the whole earth. But he went through hard times. His kids died. Think about that. All that death happened to this righteous man, and he lost all his his wealth. I mean, overnight, boom, everything's gone. You're poor. You got nothing. And then after that, he lost all his health. I mean, in perpetual pain, from boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Think about that. And you're there, and you're going through all that. What is, what is God doing? The thing about it, just like Joseph, just like Daniel, the thing about it, you guys, is that when you're there, I mean, yeah, you might cry and yeah, you might question, but you never lose your faith. And that's where Job was. And he knew this. I know I'm going through this. And there were times he was over here and there were times he was over there. But when he said this right here, but the Lord knows what he's doing in my life and he's testing me right now. And when I come out of this, I'm going to come out as gold. And so for us, I pray that we would have this heart. You know, when God leads us into the fire, he's working on our hearts. You know, some of you guys here today, you're like me. We need God to change our heart. We need not our head, not our hands. God change my heart. I want to have a heart, Acts 13, 22. I want to have a heart like you, God and that's what the fire does. Proverbs 17:3 it says the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. And as he tests your heart, what he does is he reveals it and he refines it. Cuz you and I we're not known, you know, by our actions. We're known by our reactions. So someone comes up to you and they push that button. What do you do? You're there you know, or whatever, it comes out and you start defending yourself or you start talking smack. Oh, that's who you really are. You see, we're known by our reactions, not our actions. And so testing, what it does is reveals us, but then it also refines us because now's the opportunity to say, Lord, I don't like what I just did. Change my heart. And that's what God does. You know, and not just that, you guys, when we go to the fire, it's God just, You know, giving us that opportunity to get close to him when you're in the fire. You know, that's why James says, count all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. I want to just encourage you, because if you're not there right now, some of you guys are, but you will be one day. When you're there in the fire, look for Jesus, because he's there. You know, we read that in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, when he was there in the fire and what ended up happening was it was a witness to the king nebuchadnezzar he said hold on a second didn't we just throw three guys in there and they're all bound up and now they're just walking around free and there's someone else in there and he looks like he's the son of man yeah that's what happens we're not alone in the fire you know here we see in the book of jeremiah um they weren't being pruned they were being punished and and god through Jeremiah was weeping for them. Look at verse 10. I will weep for the mountains and wail for for the wilderness, pastures, for they are desolate and empty of life. The lowing of cattle is heard no more. The birds and wild animals have all fled. I will make Jerusalem into a heap of ruin, says the Lord. It will be a place haunted by jackals. The towns of Judah will be ghost towns with no one living in them. You know, right here, the Lord is just weeping simply because of what's going to happen in their season of unnecessary suffering. You know, when we're looking at this, you guys, I know for sure that it's not just Jeremiah stating, hey, this is what's going to happen, like it's your fate. What we're seeing right here is he's saying, this is what you want to avoid. So let's get our hearts right. That's what he's saying. Now, Isaiah fifty five six it says seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near. You know we we have this window of time. You guys coming in even on a Wednesday night, man. I, I, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a friend, my desire is that every single one of you guys would discover your calling in life and that you would embrace it and that you would fulfill it, man. That's what our desire is. But you're gonna to have to seek the Lord, you know. And if we mess around and we come in and we go there and we're not really, you know, serious about the Lord, we might miss that opportunity, you know. And that's why Isaiah says, "Seek him while he may be found." I like Psalm thirty-two eight and nine, where the Bible says, "I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye." He said, "Do not be like the horse or like the mule." which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. And so basically what that verse is saying is that I have a plan for your life and I will lead you and guide you with my eye, God says. Now, I mean, I bet I, bet I could talk to any of you guys here, man, and you would say, that's all I want. That's all I want. I just want God to guide me. And the way you should go, I will guide you with my eye. But listen, don't be like the horse. Don't be like the donkey. Don't be like the stubborn mule. They won't come near unless I force them. God is saying, no, don't be like that. Come near so that I can lead you. And I've got these plans for your life that are amazing. That's all he's saying. You know, right here, at Jeremiah, you know, he uses some pretty tough words in, in verses 10 and 11, words like desolate and empty and wild and ruined, haunted. I mean, what happens to people? You guys are still hanging in there, thank God. If you're here hanging by a thread, man, let's get stronger. But, you know, thank God. But there are many who haven't come back. There are many who are no longer in with the Lord. And these words might describe their life. You know, more than likely, what was happening, because sometimes you get people, and you guys probably talk to people, and they think they're too smart. You know, they think they're too good. They don't need, you know, what you're sharing with them. Right here in verse 12, he kind of deals with that. He says, who is wise enough to understand all this? You know, who has been instructed by the Lord and can explain it to others? Why has the land been so ruined that no one dares to travel through it? The Lord replies, This has happened because my people have abandoned my instructions. They have refused to obey what I said. Instead, they have stubbornly followed their own desires and worshiped the images of Baal as their ancestors taught them. You know why is this happening? I mean, can't they they were all thinking they're all wise? but they couldn't figure it out. I pray that would never happen to you where one day you're at the end of your life and you like be really like, man, I blew it. I woulda, coulda, shoulda. So many regrets. Why? Because you, you, you couldn't see something that in all reality is so simple. You know, basically what Jeremiah says, I promise you, you're going to ruin your life. You will ruin your life. If you do your own thing, but I'll bless your life. If you don't abandon my word, that's what he says right there. You know, these people, that's a heavy word. in verse 13, this has happened because my people have abandoned my instructions. And, you know, we see it in, you know, an individual when they're no longer reading the word. They don't have a desire for the word. I know it's so cool. Sometimes I talk to people and, you know, after service, some are sleeping And that's okay, because maybe you're tired. But others come up after the service, and they're just like, wow, thank you. Same word going out, same seed, same sower, because the sower is Jesus. But the soil is different. And there are those that are sleeping, and there are those that are hungry. And that's what we see right here. The people, they weren't really interested. They had abandoned the Word of God. I love it, talking to brothers, and sometimes brothers are sending out text messages, and you can tell by their text messages that they love the Bible. They love the Lord, and if you love the Lord, you're going to love the Bible. But, you know, we see it in, in, in the world that we live in. They took away the Bible out of church, I mean, out of schools, and then, you know, they took down the Ten Commandments from government, you know, Um, places and what has happened to our nation since then in the last you know 50 years and so what ends up happening if you leave the bible what ends up happening if you leave god's word well because of the way that we're wired we need to have some kind of system some type of philosophy some sort of faith that's just the way that we're wired I mean, you can talk to anybody out there, you know, President Biden, what does he think? You know, LeBron James, what does he think? You can talk to any of these actresses, you know, I wonder, you know, what, what this famous singer, you know, what her, she has to have some type of philosophy, some type of faith that she built her life on. If you don't have the Bible, you're going to have something else. And for them, they regressed back to the God of the land that they live in, and that was the God of Baal. Baal is found over 200 times in the Bible, known as the god of rain and fertility. He portrayed he was portrayed as a bloodthirsty god and highly sexual. And so the erotic element in Baal worship was intended to stimulate the god and so you you it's kind of cool cuz like some people will be like this is basically the way it works. I like that religion. I like that because the way that we worship God is we go to the temple and we hire a temple prostitute And that's how you worship God. And so some people are like, yeah, I'm interested in that type of religion. Because a lot of times, even in the church, you know, people are not pure. Wait on the Lord. Wait until you're married. And when you're married, stay stay faithful to your spouse. But here we see, you know, they were worshiping Baal because they believed that that activity then stimulated Baal and Asherah to do their thing and then that would then produce rain and that would produce children and it was just a crazy thing that god's people uh, fell under now when you look at it it happened early for example in the numbers chapter 25 they engaged in this activity and then later on under ahab and jezebel baal uh, worship dominated the northern kingdom of israel you guys remember that prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 17? He bursts onto the scene and he you know, proclaims war against Baal. And he did a great job, but he did not eliminate the demons from the land. Because you might take it out and you might kill their prophets or you might take away the statues. But the, the big question is, is, it, is their heart pure? You know, do you have it in your heart every guy? is a guy, right? And so I don't know how it is for girls to be honest, but I think every guy would say, if you were honest, I struggle with lust. Every guy does. And so here's what happens, men, that if you feed that hunger, it will only get worse. And you're going to find yourself drawn to things. But if you feed the, the spiritual man, and what ends up happening is, you, you know, you, you, sometimes you can't help but seeing a pretty girl or whatever, she's dressed a certain way, and your eyes will bounce because you love God. But other guys, they're they, hey, second look. Jesus said, that's the one that gets you in trouble. And all I'm saying is this, that, you know, you can take away the statue and you can say, well, I don't worship Baal, but remember, the heart of it was a sexual impurity. And they're still worshiping Baal today. No, men, we have to be pure. We have to be pure because God, just like I was saying earlier, he hears those conversations in your, in your house when you're talking about somebody or wherever it is, the, the the things you're saying, he hears that and he sees what you see. I'm sure it's the same for the ladies, but for us, right, that was the problem. They were back in that place. And so Jeremiah warns them in verse 15, so so now, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Look, I will feed them with bitterness and give them poison to drink. I will scatter them around the world in places they and their ancestors never heard of. And, and even there, I will chase them with the sword until I have destroyed them completely. I remember one time I had a gang that was after me and it was an interesting season of my life. I guess I got mixed up with the wrong girl. And so, you know, they were after me. He was a former girlfriend of one of the gang members. And so it was weird, you know. So let's just say a guy or a gang is after you. You know, does that change anything? Some of you guys are, are courageous. You're like, absolutely not. I'm packing or whatever it is, you know. I don't know how it is. Self-defense, right? But, you know, that's that's if the, if a guy says he's after you, Or if a gang says he's after you, that's one thing. But if God says he's after you, you better be shaking in your boots. And that's what was happening right here. God says, I'm going to scatter you, and then even when you get there, I'm going to come after you, and there's going to be a sword there. See, this study is intended to eliminate the unnecessary suffering in an individual's life because they choose not to obey God. That's all this study is. My prayer is rather than experiencing that type of heartache, that you would experience the victory that God has for you. God says here, I'm going to chase them with the sword. Verse 17, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Consider all this and call for the mourners. Send for the women who mourn at funerals. These are professional mourners. Quick, begin your weeping. Let the tears flow from your eyes. Hear the people of Jerusalem crying in despair. We are ruined. We are completely humiliated. We must leave our land because our homes have never been torn down. I mean, think about what God would feed them with this bitterness. Um, in the New King James, it uses the word wormwood, which was a metaphor in the Old Testament for extreme sorrow and divine judgment. And that's where they would be facing. You know, in Revelation 8, 11, Wormwood is symbolic of that star that falls and kills millions by poisoning Earth's waters. And God says, this, this is your future. Jeremiah, as he's talking to them, he's warning them. You know, God here wouldn't eliminate his people. He wouldn't eradicate the Jews, but he would humiliate them. You know, and I I was thinking about this and, you know, I got to be careful with the things that I say, you guys, but as a pastor, like I think about these pastors that have fallen and I was thinking about this one pastor, he he was pastoring a church of 6,000 people that would come um, every, the sanctuary, I'm sorry, the sanctuary seated 6,000 people. It was the biggest Calvary chapel out of all of them. He was gifted. Um, I thought he was anointed. I mean, just amazing man. But I don't know what it was. And I just sometimes I get these questions like, Lord, do these pastors that do this kind of stuff, like that one over there who was sleeping with his boyfriend's with his with his son's girlfriend? I mean, did he know the Lord? Or that pastor over there who was sleeping with five women when his wife was dying of cancer? Did he know the Lord? You know, this one over here who was having an affair with the secretary and so his son was so disillusioned by it that one day his son comes knocking at his father's door. The father opens up the door and he kills himself right in front of his father. The son does. I mean, these pastors, do they know the Lord? You know, and then so here's this guy so gifted. But, you know, again, pornography, sexual sin. And so... You know, today I was just wondering, whatever happened to that pastor? And I went online and I found him. Believe it or not, I found him and he was, you know, working for some advertising agency. And I just remembered him, how he was so gifted. I remember how he would teach. I remember the work that God did in his life and through his life. And now he's not serving the Lord anymore. You know, and when these things, when they really begin to hit home, it should bring us to tears. And when I saw it this today, I was just there, Lord, and I was crying. Lord, this can happen. It, it happens. And for us right here, the Lord says you should hire professional mourners because people should be crying over these things that are happening. Look at verse twenty. He says, listen, you woman, to the words of the Lord. Open your ears to what he has to say. Teach your daughters to wail. Teach one another how to lament. For death has crept in through our windows and has entered our mansions or palaces. It has killed off the flower of our youth. Children no longer play in the streets and young men no longer gather in the square. I mean, again, what the Lord is saying is teach these uh, women to, to weep. You moms, teach the daughters, teach them how to weep because these are times in which tears are appropriate. It's interesting how he says death has crept in through our windows. I remember when I was a young Christian, I had a dream. That the enemy was trying to get into my house. And I remember, man, he was running to the front door and he was trying to get in, but I had it locked. I was on the other side. And then he's running to the back door and then he hops up on the roof and he tries to get into the window. This is all in my dream how the enemy was trying to come into my house. And so I was a young Christian and I, I, I began to pray and I taught my, my kids to pray. Let's pray that God would lock the doors, let's pray that God would seal the windows. Let's pray that the enemy doesn't come into our house. Because what ends up happening right here is the enemy comes into the house. He comes into the home. And look what happens to the children. Look what happens to them. It says that they lost their childhood. I mean, they're supposed to be outside playing, having fun, serving the Lord. You know the faith of a child. But when a parent is not serving the Lord, they let the enemy come on in. This is what they do to their children. You know, every child has to make a choice. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. But sometimes we are to blame in part because we have not been living the way that we should. And here we see the enemy comes in. The children no longer playing in the streets and the young men are no longer in in the squares. You know, I pray you know, you're here today or maybe you're watching online that you can really see what this is saying right here. You know, if you have little ones, I pray that you would make a stand and that you would be holy and wholehearted for Jesus Christ. Because what's going to happen to your children in eternity? And so in verse 22, it says, this is what the Lord says. Bodies will be scattered across the fields like clumps of manure, like bundles of grain after the harvest. No one will be left to bury them. And, and, and I think in one sense, you might be here and you're thinking, no, 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 that's not that bad. And What he's saying is it's going to be worse than you could ever imagine. That's how important it is for, for us to serve the Lord. And then this amazing passage in verse 23, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. I like the New King James. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. And so basically, the the, the three things that he mentions, I like the way Warren Risby categorizes it. He says, It's not our minds that we should be boasting about. It's not our might or power that we should be boasting about. It's not our money that we should be boasting about. No, it's just the fact that we know the Lord. Can I ask you a question tonight, man? Do you know the Lord? Do you really know the Lord? Because if you do, that's wonderful. That's a miracle that you know the Lord. And that's all you have to have in your life. He'll take care of everything else. You know, don't boast in, oh well, I've got you know this kind of intellectualism, you know, or don't boast in the fact that you know financially secure. Don't boast in the fact that you're powerful. No, you're strong. No. All you need to boast in is in the fact that you know him that you have a personal relationship with him. Praise God. And Paul, later on in Galatians chapter six, the only thing he says I'm going to boast in is in that cross of Jesus Christ where all my sins were nailed there. And when God looks at you because you're a Christian, he sees no sin. That's the only boast that I have. I can't come up here and boast, well, I'm a pastor. I can't come up here and boast, well, I've been a Christian for so long. I can't come up here and boast, well, I read the Bible or I pray or whatever it is that I think that I'm doing good. None of that. I fall short in every area of my life. The only thing I can boast in, it says in Galatians chapter 6, is in the cross of Christ. And so, if some people think about the cross, they think it's silly. All I know is that salvation. I know that. And so we read in verse 25, it says, A time is coming, says the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised in body but not in spirit, the Egyptians, Edomites, Ammonites, Moabites, the people who live in the desert and remote places, and yes, even the people of Judah. And like all these pagan nations, the people of Israel also have uncircumcised hearts. Now, now, there's the, the, the versions, they, they see it differently. Like the New Living tra- Translation, it kind of basically says God's going to judge all these nations. You know, the... Uh, circumcised Jews and the rest of the nations as well, the New King James thinks it sounds like God is going to use these nations to judge the Jews. Either way, I know this, the world is going to be judged one day. As a matter of fact, I think it might be in the Judges to read what it says there in verse 25 in the very beginning, a time is coming, a time is coming, because Jesus so right here the primary point is God is going to deal with the disobedience that's what we see right here the circumcision was symbolic for cutting away the flesh it's already happening to the homology that's what are talking about you know my prayer is that as this message goes out that some for somebody maybe it might click because God's in it and they would change you know they choose to turn from their sin to cut away the flesh and escape the judgment to come. That's my prayer. So please, Lord. If you're here tonight and you want that, please, Lord, you just say this. Please, Lord, come into my life.